Welcome everyone to The Map, the Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. I'm Kimberly Walsh, uh, Director of Brady's Landing Sober Home for Women. I am joined with my incomparable co-hosts, Kristen Perry Long and our wonderful producer, Andy Bernstein. What's going on, everybody? Hey, hi. How are we all holding up since last we spoke? It's It's been so much fun. (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) Right. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. How are you coping, Andy? Well, you know, it's funny, you know, when you hear, um, you know, our president talk about, you know, that it's all good, then, you know, that kind of gets, you know, it starts to get in your head. So I feel like kind of we probably need to be, you know, not pick up on that a little bit because, you know, Massachusetts is starting to pick up right now with this thing. So, you know, yeah. I think we need to be, uh, you know, safe out there. So. What, Chris, what are you doing to keep your sanity? So I tried to give myself a pedicure. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> but um, for men. It is. Yeah, it's hard. Um, I, I just, um, I don't know. It is. It's really weird. So I got laid off and um, I knew I was going to get laid off just because you, I could just see it happening. So I was kind of proactive in that. I signed up to be an Instacart delivery person. I mean, I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I'm careful. And um, it's been really interesting seeing all the different grocery stores that I've been going into and how they're taking care of it. And they've got people wiping down everywhere. They've got um, lines like at the the deli isn't really open, but they've got lines. They've got lines in the um, checkouts. They've got face guards. Uh, at the checkouts um, <clears throat> and the grocery stores, honestly, are really barren. They're empty. <clears throat> um, but it's the people that I'm delivering to that I think is. No, they need, they need the service, Chris. I mean, right, right. They they from my that, mom. I mean, I'm terrified that I'm going to get it uh, there? just because I'm so out there, but um, the people that I'm, I'm delivering to are uh, older there's been some younger ones, but it's older and it makes me really sad. I delivered to this, uh, probably in their late eighties yesterday, they're still living husband and wife, still living on their own. And they invited me in for tea because they've been locked in for three weeks and they're so lonely. No, I didn't do it. I I, I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't be afraid, but I'd be afraid that I could be carrying it and could give it to them. Um, but it's just, like you think about it, it's like I try not to think about when this is going to be over. I try to stay in the moment, stay in the day. Um, but those poor people, like they're just they're they're older. Um, their lives have like stopped, and people aren't going and seeing their their families because they've been told that there's these are the comp- the people that are most compromised. So I just I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking deep, uh, yeah. you know, of ways to kind of brighten people's lives and you know so i was thinking of dropping some flowers and chocolates off to my house them. i can do that but you know they have, a, they have a program i don't know if you guys have seen it on social media which i thought was phenomenal so within a community and any community can do this because that's kind of become universal well i hope i'm thinking it might have but at any rate so if the 
if the older person who lives in a home or an apartment, they can put a red, like anything red in the window to signify they need help, they need supplies, they need, they need something. If they, can't, if they can't reach out in another way, then someone could at least come knock on the door, pick up the note or pick up whatever they needed and then bring it back for them. Right. The cot was such a great idea. So simple. You know? so, so we talk about health and mental health and, you know, staying positive and staying communicating with people, even though, you know, you can't have that face to face person, but you know, something like zoom is wonderful. And, uh, we, we have a great guest today. Who's, uh, Jeff Wolfsburg. And I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you because having Jeff on is, is great because he's got a very interesting story and I think he can provide some real, um, information and some positive, um, feedback, um, you know, because of his own personal story and the line of work that he's currently in. So absolutely. Andy, take it away. So how are you, Jeff? I'm, I'm great. How are you, Andy? Good morning. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. So Jeff, is a, um, Jeff has a 20-year background in alcohol and drug prevention field. Uh, he's working at, or has worked with schools and colleges. And for the past seven, several years, he has been working at the Advocates in Framingham, Mass. And he's a project manager and lead peer recovery coach for the Harvard program private health insurance team. And he and his team provide peer and recovery coaching support to the members of Harborford Pilgrim Health Insurance Plan in New England. And on the weekends, he runs a private practice as a recovery coach and nutrition. And he's a certified peer specialist, recovery coach, yoga teacher, and nutritionist. So you got it all covered, Jeff. Trying to be healthy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so I think, you know, I think that's actually the uh which is it's an accurate bio but that's uh, that's the bio that you and i used like last year when it I is the bio last year because the new one this morning is a hell of a lot less wordy but i i, I <laughs> add a little bit more dimension to it cool. um, i oversee all the recovery coaching at advocates which is in framingham advocates is a, is a wonderful organization that primary mission is working with people with, um, with mental uh, disabilities, developmental disabilities. Um, it's like an 800 people organization. We're, we're very, very large. Um, we're just a remarkable place to work. I've been there quite a while and, and, and I tend to be somewhat of a cynic when it comes to working for big companies. I've always worked for myself, but I've been at advocates a little over four years now and, I've always been surprised about how much they really walk the walk. Um, I mean, they walk the talk, talk the walk. <laughs> it's one of those. Uh, <laughs> they really, they really, really strive to, to be what they say they are. Um, so, our recovery pro- program at Advocates has really grown over the last couple of years um, with my leadership, and we have um, we have an ER program now. We have two recovery coaches in the Framingham and Marlborough hospitals, ERs. Uh, when people come in and they, they have an overdose, um, we have a recovery coach can meet with them and help them maybe take advantage of that opportunity to get in the treatment. Um, that's a wonderful program that I, I'm very proud of. We have recovery coaches that are working in the jail, jail diversion program, which is very cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful program as well. Um, in jail intervention program, it's a very new program we have uh, called BHJI, Behavioral Health Jail, uh, in, uh, jail uh, Intervention. Though the I stands for something else, Jail 
something. Um, basically, people that are getting out of the, the criminal justice system here in Massachusetts, as they start to get ready to leave 90 days prior to discharge, uh, they can begin working with an advocate's reentry specialist or recovery coach to make their integration back into the community more uh, more successful. Uh, what jails? Uh, everyone, we, we, we will work with all the criminal justice systems in this part of the state, basically from Worcester East. Uh, so we work with probation offices and criminal justice systems and jails and prisons. Um, I don't work with them directly, but I manage the recovery coaches and peer specialists who are part of that team. It's a wonderful program. And then like you mentioned, Andy, uh, we have a private insurance contract with Harvard Pilgrim, which, uh, which is the longest running thing we've been doing um, for over four years now, where we work with Harvard Pilgrim members here in New England who are either gone into treatment for psychiatric um, interventions or substance abuse, and we provide a peer specialist or recovery coach to work with them. So, um, yeah, so that's, I just want to be really give the audience a, a, a nice, clear picture of what I do. So, when you talk peer, peer recovery specialists, can you give us a little background about that? Uh, recovery coaches and peer specialists, I see them, they're, they're two different, they're, they, it all, it's, it's all peer support as far as I'm concerned because um, our expertise is our life experience. Uh, so that, what, that's what makes those two positions the same. Um, I think a recovery coach is focusing primarily on, on the substance use disorder and the peer specialist. <laughs> Focusing, focusing primarily on the uh, psychiatric diagnosis. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a different focus, but oftentimes it's the same. Many, I work with a, many people on my team are both recovery coaches and certified peer specialists because the, the dual diagnosis nature of these problems is prevalent. So, um, but sometimes it's one or the other. You know, it's not always it's not always both. Uh, but the, 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 the goal is the same. The goal is to help people live the best life possible. I think that's the same goal, whether you're a peer specialist or a recovery coach. Uh, recovery coach's primary mission is to remove obstacles that get in the way of people getting into recovery and, and sustaining recovery. Um, abstinence may be the goal, you know, the, the, way, the way the world is now. When I, when I came up and got clean and sober, clean and sober meant you did not drink and you do drugs right uh now we're in this we're in this world now where when someone says you know, i'm in recovery and they say how do you define your recovery people get to define the recovery in whatever way they want so that could be complete abstinence from all mind-altering chemicals it can be hey i don't drink and do heroin anymore but i smoke a little weed i'm in recovery um you know I, i'm not going to get into that conversation on this that's a whole different. Yeah, that's, that's a whole different bag of worms. Animal. Yeah. Um, we open that Pandora's box. That said, that said, our code of ethics as recovery coaches is we support people where they are right. and where they want to go. So if that's someone's definition of recovery, then we're going to support that. Uh, yeah. How many people do you have on staff? Um, on any. Given we, uh, I have, my team is about 13, 12 to 13, okay. every coaches and peer specialists. We have a total staff of, you know, again, fluctuates 40 or something. And it's a nonprofit organization. Yep. So yep. you're um, open to the public. Yep. Right. Um, so from what I remember, because we had you on our, uh, my old show, Crosscheck, you, um, you were not a, if I, bear with me, you were not a AA guy. 
Is that correct? Well, I think I think it's done through the marketplace where when I first started getting into recovery, I did AA was my thing, and and okay. and, um, and I I went to meetings and I I did my steps and I wrote my steps and I I went through because I didn't know I didn't know what else there was to do. I mean, this I kept beating, people just kept beating me over the head like this is how you get sober, you know. Um, there wasn't multiple pathways of recovery that we talk about so much today. Can I stop you there for a second? Yeah. Do you think that maybe there's too many, there's too many pathways to recovery and there, some of them, they intersect and some of them are just so a different, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. I don't, I don't think like today, my, my pathway of recovery today is, Basically, uh, yoga with a twelve-step emphasis. It's, there oh. is there is a whole thing around that, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. The world. Yeah. That, that that for me, eating really well. Um, those two things are my platform for my mind, body, and soul. I don't think I don't think I could have started there again. I always emphasize this is my story, so I don't think right. I can make me look at my story and say <clears> that. I don't think I could have started there and, and, and had the same quality of recovery that I have now. I think I had to grow into that. So AA did provide me with structure, a place to go, people to talk to, people that were living a life without alcohol and other drugs and telling me it's possible. So there was some value in that for me. I, I wouldn't say I'm that. AA, that was 20-something years ago. Okay. But, um, I wouldn't say I'm not an AA guy. I just, it just, I, I feel like I grew out of it. Um, and I turned, I, it became something different for me. Uh, you did your own, you kind of pursued your own journey. I did. I just kind of followed what felt natural to me. I mean, obviously when I started, exactly. working with <clears throat> people were like, Hey, you know, you're going to get in trouble. And you know, I, you know, people said those things to me and I don't always think that's true. Um, I just kind of went in a different direction. So if someone says, hey, I want to do it, hey, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I support that. I think there's a lot Absolutely. of value. Yeah. And I agree with you on that on that journey. I kind of had a similar one as yours, Jeff. Um, yeah. I started with AA as well, but I've also incorporated so many other different aspects into my life that's, uh, that's not necessarily a meeting a day or a meeting. You know what I mean? It's But it but I'm certainly sober. Um, and, and, the, and the bottom line to that is everyone come, gets there how they get there it's all individual it's kind of like like we were talking about on another show you know different me medications you have to try them you have to try them see what works for you you know there's not a, one, one thing does not fit all one size does not fit all especially in in when you're talking about your life you know and what and how you choose to live it you know i think kristen's chris said earlier yeah, do i think there's too many pathways probably if i was really honest with you i feel that way i think um i think so <laughs> that are new to recovery uh they want to try oh i want to try yoga meditation i'm like that's great and everything but that's you know I, I really think you should look at these other things even though that's somewhat against the code of ethics what i just did right there which i'm telling people what to do um i don't always think certain pathways are the best choices in the beginning <laughs> for uh, sure yeah, yeah for sure I, I just think meditating for someone new in recovery I'm not quite sure you're really going to get what you need. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally was, agree with that too. Yeah, I agree with that too. 15 years into my recovery, I started meditating as a way of reinforcing some of the yeah. stuff that I'm going, but I was also going to therapy. I still go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and AA lays a great, a good foundation for, for moving forward off the platform. But I think a good solid foundation in the program and doing the steps is, in, is, is so paramount to, to what comes next, you know, but I, I have to be really careful. Um, as a recovery coach, you have to be really careful that your biases don't kind of sprinkle into the conversation because exactly. people can, yep. they can hear what you really believe in. They can hear what you don't like, what you do like. So you have to be very careful that when you're recovery coaching and you're doing your practice with somebody that they really feel like you're there to support them on their journey, that you're not infusing into the conversation what you think right. is the right what way. What I think is right, right. Or, or judging them if they don't go right. the way you think they should, yeah. I, um, I'm working with a person right now <clears throat> who's older and suffers from alcohol and um, doesn't like the AA way. And when I asked, you know, what doesn't work and talked to him about it a little bit more, it, more, it was more that... They had, they just hadn't found the right meeting. Um, that where they were going, uh, the higher power was being basically forced down their throat, and they were, you know, their higher power is God, and because they're Catholic, and that's like that's their higher power, and they they were having a hard time trying to see what that other higher power was, if that makes any sense. Right. And when we broke it down, and we, you know, I explained everybody's higher power is their own. We all have our own higher power, whether it's God or I don't know, Santa Claus or whatever. It's, it's your higher power. And when we broke it down and, and discussed it, it made a whole lot of sense, but the meetings were so rigid and direct and focused. They were intimidated and just couldn't, you know, so I always, I always tell everybody that I work for, I'm like, hit lots of meetings, hit it until it feels good inside all different kinds of meetings. You know, um, there are a lot of options out there and the re recovery yoga. Do you know, uh, Bonnie Sandler? I, I don't, but, um, the recovery community around yoga is it's Y12, um, yeah. yoga for 12, so Y12 ST, like for 12 step recovery. I became a, a I went to a leadership weekend, got certified and stuff. It's a, Wonderful. So, so she right. runs um, Heart and Soul Yoga, and it is like it's trauma focused, but it's also recovery yoga, Great. and it's it's amazing. Like yeah. it really there's, is. There's a, big, there's a big meeting in Plymouth, I think, um, where they do a yoga 12, for twelve step recovery. Mm -hmm. thing. The biggest one in the state. I tried to get one going up where I live. I live in Norton. I tried to get one going at the. I live in Foxborough. Uh, neighbor. Hello. Uh, there's a studio in called Open Door, where I where I practice, and I yep. tried to get a meeting going there, but we just couldn't get any traction on it. I, I got a lot of support from the owner, Laurie, who was wonderful, but uh, we just couldn't we couldn't get it going. Uh, but that you know, sometimes things take off, sometimes they don't. So. Hey Jeff, you do a lot of work with men. In I, I, I do, yeah, I, I yeah, I do, yeah. What 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 is the difference between? I mean, obviously, we know the difference between men and women, but what are some of the needs that men require? Andy, I mean, from a recovery standpoint, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. Well, I I think the first thing, if I was doing a training, and I was I was I was actually going to be flying out to Oregon, Oregon's Oregon State Mental Health Association was having their annual conference uh, next month, and um. 
I applied for a workshop for them. I don't know. I don't know how it got to me, but and I don't know why I wanted to fly to Oregon, but I did. Um, I I, I, just, I was going to do a workshop for them. Why don't men seek mental health services? With then dot dot, you know, how to what are the solutions? So they were really eager to hear that presentation. Um, I think the first thing that I try to train people to think about is really thinking about men as a very unique category. That oh, women unique, right? Yeah, I, I think we already look at women's needs as being something that's unique that needs to be tailored and need to be under that needs to be understood. So when we say I'm going to work with different groups and I'm going to work with a woman, why? Like clearly, there's an understanding that women have different needs than men. Like for instance, I was at a I was in a meeting um, at Advocates. You know, this is a year ago, and one of the senior managers was senior executives was like, "We're looking for ideas about um, we want to start more groups." And um, everybody went around the room saying their different ideas, and I said, "I'd like I'd like to start a men's group." And um, the executive was like, "Why?" And I said. Because men need to talk, and there, and she was like, "About what?" Like right. she, she just didn't see that men. And that's not, you know, no disrespect. This is common. Uh, she just didn't see that men haven't have a completely different voice and different agenda and different needs that need to be addressed than women. They're better, not worse. Just different. No, uh, it's absolutely. And they're both different. Yeah. They're both different. So I think wow. I try to get across to people is that men aren't just locked. Men just shouldn't be sick. You know, it's just men. It's like we have very special, unique needs that need to be addressed. Um, Jeff, with it, can I stop? Can I ask a question? Is that yeah. are you saying within like the whole, the group of males? You're saying there's different uh, groups within that group that need to be addressed. Or are you saying men as a whole? Because there's seventy percent of the. Hmm? I think it's just men as a very as, as their own thing. Like this is. I'm just not when a recovery when one of my recovery coaches goes to meet their recovery for the first time. I ask them how. Oh, it's a guy. Well, how are you going to approach him differently than you would if it was a woman? And they kind of look at me like, well, I'm just going to approach him the way I approach him. I go, this, this is a guy. This is a man. You have to. This, there's a different approach here. What are some of the issues that you need to address in this meeting that you would address with a woman? And they, so they don't always understand that question. If I said, oh, you're meeting with a woman today? Well, how is that, how is that meeting different than if you met with a, with a man? Like, well, with a woman, I need to take into consideration, blah, blah, blah. But there's a little bit more of an understanding that now I get it. meeting with okay. someone, it's a woman and there are different needs. So with a guy, for instance, um, I think the first thing that I understand, that the, you know, the, I've been doing this work for years. I've studied men's issues deeply and I, I i'd like to think that i'm somewhat of an expert at this point um trust is a big issue with men yeah. there, there is um there's this i believe that when women come together there is a there's an, an almost an immediate not for all women but for a large percentage of women there's an immediate bonding that occurs over the idea of just being female Yep. That is a bonding experience. Pack mentality. It's not, not the only thing that matters. Of course, more needs to happen. But the idea of being female is a uniting experience. It is not a uniting experience for mm -hmm. men just to be men. For, <laughs> I mean, the reason for this is because evolutionarily, uh, men don't see other men as friendly friendly people. You are, generally speaking, in my wired biological brain you are a competitor yep could be an adversary 
you could be a whole bunch of things to me. Not Very competitive. Not necessarily my friend. So um, I, when I meet with men and I sit down and I understand, and I even say to them, I know it's going to take some time for you to trust me. I understand that. And I will, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm considering that in our relationship. I'm going to work with you and to get there with you. Because just, we'll take and, and not, not just be another guy, that's not enough for you to, for me to expect you to start sharing with me. Right. So you it's, understand that I really, really, really care about you and I'm really here to help you. I'm not here to compete with you. I'm not here to take away resources because our, our caveman brain still looks at me like, what's this guy all about? Like, right. you know, is this a competitor? Is this a... The other side's new up. Yeah. yeah. That's the first thing I do when I work with men. What do I do to prove that? Yeah. I, I think uh, that's a good question. Um, I think many of the same things I would, I would do to prove it with anybody, which is keeping my word. Um, I think really listening. Um, men tend to, because of our, again, because of our wiring, we tend to want to, talk a lot about our, our stuff, you know, what we've accomplished in our successes it's right. for us to prove ourselves a woman, our worth. Um, I don't do that with other men. I let them talk a lot. I use different words with men that I would with a woman. I, uh-huh. I use words like I admire the fact that you did that. I respect that you did this or did that. There's certain types of words I drop into sentences that are more frequent with men than there are with women. Um, there's a different language that I use with men to make them feel like I'm really listening, that I get them. Um, men oftentimes are uh, isolation and solitude are two issues that are often confused with men. For instance, a wife will say, oh, my husband is always isolating downstairs. I say, well, is he isolating or is he seeking solitude? Because men seek solitude to heal. Um, the way women tend to befriend, they, they, they mend the way they mend is they befriend. Men oftentimes go into isolation to heal. Because we're zigging and zagging at that point. Yeah, we're, we're hurt in battle. We crawl into a cave. We stay there until we heal, then we come out. So it's, it's not isolating. It's very different. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the big thing, too, though, is that society has painted a very black and white picture about what the roles of men are and what the roles of women are. And I think that over time, like in a, in a good marriage per se, like I've had to, so I was married previously and my ex-husband cheated on me and my brain automatically went into every man as a cheater for years. And I got remarried. He never did anything to make me think that he was ever going to cheat on me, but my brain kept saying, Oh my God, he's late. Uh, he must be with another woman, you know? And it was until I, like I shut that down that I, we were okay, that the jealousy aspect uh, had been removed from my brain. And I think that men are the providers and there's a lot of pressure that is put on society based on what society does that they have to provide. And in this particular situation that we're in right now, um, you know, right now we're still kind of in the aha uh-huh, kind of mode like we're still trying to figure this out the isolation i don't think has really set in with a lot of people they're enjoying being home with family they're starting projects they're cleaning the yards up they're playing games with the kids but as time evolves 
you know, and the bills keep coming in and the mortgages are due and the groceries, you know, are getting, are going down and life keeps going, but our world has stopped. That's the concern that like, where are those roles, where are they going to go? Do you know what I mean? We, it's a, it's a great point. And uh, I think that's another thing that, that when you're working with men, you have to realize so much of their self-esteem is wrapped around the idea of providing, providing and protecting both providing, yes. protect, which is if I, if I was listening in my workshops, that's like the second bullet provide and protect. It, it's, it sounds so antiquated and you know, macho and guys need to get out of thinking like that. I'm sorry. That's the way we're wired. Right. Um, yeah. My, my, my wiring is to provide for my family food and shelter and protect them from harm. And if I don't recognize that as a recovery coach, if I don't address that grief that's associated, I'll bring it into the alcohol and drugs now, when you become an addict and you are no longer useful to your wife or your family, that is a wound that has to be addressed in the recovery coaching exactly. sooner or later, that you let the family down from a provide and protect standpoint. Um, that, is a, that is a wound that men often don't even know they're wounded there until I bring it up. And then oftentimes when I bring it up, there's a, you can see it. it there's often men begin to cry. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's an area that needs to be healed. You know, I'm sorry, Andy. No, that's where the shame comes in. Yeah. 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 And shame and shaming. And, you know, I'm in the, I know I'm going to get a lot of grief for this. Um, unfortunately, what I've seen in a lot of very destructive relationships between men and women is women use shaming tactics against men often um, as a way of hurting them. I, again, I'm going to say it goes both ways, but right. in the arsenal and the arsenal of, of how men and women hurt each other, shaming a man is oftentimes something I've seen done by women often. And if you're trying to heal, heal relationships, that's often something that has to be addressed as well. You know, well, I think both, both find the weak spot. You know what I mean? Both I, I said, those both ways. I'm just, yeah. I'm just pointing it out. If I'm working with a couple, I'm often trying to let them understand where shame, shaming the other, if, if it goes either way, uh, can be so devastating. Yeah, shame is the worst. Brene, Brene, Brene Brown's talked so much about shame. Brene Brown. I have to say, so like the whole shame thing, when I start working with families, because I work, my backstory, Jeff, is that um, I didn't choose to get into this. It chose my kids. So uh, 12 years ago, I was running around, 11, 12 years ago, I was running around trying to fix my kids. Long story short, then there was really hardly anybody. Uh, out there to help us. So I buried myself in education, understanding, surrounded myself with really good people in recovery. Anyway, moving past that with the whole shame and working with families, the biggest barrier that I see with families, with kids, early recovery, still active in addiction is the shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know, they should have done this. I should have done that. I could have done this. I didn't do that. So on and so forth. So what I try to do is I try to, to help families get in the moment. We can't change what happened five minutes ago and we can't really control what's going to happen five, you know, five minutes ahead of us. Stay in the moment, stay right here, right now. And, and when you do that, and when you keep somebody like in the moment, the shame starts to go away and, you know, they start to see that if they stay in the moment and they're not like, you know, you did this, you know, yesterday, what's to say that you're not going to do this tomorrow? And you just remove that. It, it's, you remove that burden uh, yeah. from,
from them too. And it's, I love watching, I mean, not in a sick way, but I love watching the process of people uh, finding recovery per se. It's a family disease. And when the whole family, you know, all get on the same page and they all do what they need to do individually, it eventually comes back and it's a full circle and it's all going in the right direction. But it's definitely a process. It's trial and error and it's hard and it's long. But yeah. Yeah. So Andy, the the answer to your question, I I love working with men. Um, I think the issues facing men are ones that I've gone through personally. So, you know, I can relate to it. And I like, if I can, if I can get a guy to trust me, um, and I think good, we, good work can be done. Good work can be done, and I can, I can heal these men. Um, Break down walls, and you know, men fifty plus is a uh, a big issue right now, too. Yeah, I'm fifty three. Um, I see so many men in my in the fifties coming in through Harvard Pilgrims that contract. Uh, the suicide rate for men in my age category is so high. Uh, it has a lot to do with loss of jobs, um, loss of identity to provide protect mentality. Um, it, it, you know, at a core level, we're still very much just, you know, cavemen, you know, we, we, like to, we like to think we've evolved and we're this, you know, whatever we think we are, but we're very much, we're still very much, you know, in our very strict gender roles. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I know I get a lot of grief when I do workshops and I'm at a conference and there's 50, 60, 70 people in the room and I start throwing out some of my gender ideas. You know, some of them are you know, like, yes, great. I that You nailed it. And others, I can get a lot of flack for it. And I get that because I'm kind of pushing back against societal norms. But one story that I often tell at the beginning of a workshop is as I, as I tell this story, I say, imagine if you walk into a restaurant, like just you and a friend, and as you walk into the restaurant, you see a woman sitting by herself at a table off in the corner and she's weeping and she's crying. You can clearly see she's upset. What are some of the adjectives that come to mind? What are some of the ideas that pop into your mind? And I'll write them down in the board. And oftentimes they're like, oh, she must be really upset. Oh, something must have happened. Um, Maybe someone should go over and see if she's okay. Um, And then I say, great, love that list. Sounds good. And then imagine if that was a man over in the corner sitting by himself, weeping and upset. Um, how is that different? And I start writing things on the board. It's a, it's a completely different experience. It's like, there's something wrong with that guy. He's dangerous. I think we should sit on the other side of the restaurant is, is mostly what you hear. Right. So men are often, men are not often, men are in a, in, a, in a bind in our society where we're often asked to be more emotive, but when we are, we're penalized for it. You know, so many times a wife or a girlfriend will say, you know, I want more of you. Um, I want more emotional expression. And when they start really more, when they start getting more emotive, and sometimes it's the man's fault because you once you unplug that, that once you pull the cork out of that bottle, sometimes guys just go, okay, here it comes. It is, it is too much. So if I am doing some coaching, I may have to tell the guy, you need to, you know, tone it down a little bit uh, and bring some of it to therapy, not all of it to your wife or your girlfriend. But then the wife and girlfriend may turn around and say, okay, you know, maybe you need to go back to the other guy. I like that one was a little bit easier to manage. And it's like, well, what do you want? You want me to be, you know, you want me to be strong and stoic and you want me to be, you know, really emotive. And finding a balance for a man is very difficult when they've never done it before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, I think females, whether we like to admit it or not, do like to be, while men want to provide and protect, females have a, a, a you know, in, innate need to feel protected and 
to be, you know, by their man. They, they yeah, want us, you know. Yeah. When I was married, you know, this, what, what happened many, many times is my wife wanted to be like, I'm independent. I could do this and I can do that. But when shit hit the fan, she looked right at me and says, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, and, I, and I am not unique and I will take all the shit in the world for saying that and you can email me text me whatever you want throw me under the bus I don't care that's the way it is that's the way it is more often than not um, and guys know guys know when, the, when shit hits the fan they're in charge and they're the ones most likely going to be asked to figure it out so but that's a growth Pat I think that's growth though because I've been with my wife 18 years and married. She's been with you for 18 years. <laughs> and I can tell you, well, you're right, but I can tell you that over a period of time, I grew and evolved. And I can honestly, when there's a situation, I can work with my wife yeah. to tackle problems. It's not. It should be. Right. And that's why we have a good marriage because. I'm not the ego guy where it's like, okay, you know, I bring strengths to the relationship. She brings and, and, and I bring strengths to the relationship as well. So together finding that common ground, yeah, be able to do that. But I think you have to almost as a guy, you almost have to check your ego a little bit because you know, your partner, right? That's how we we operate, and so um, because earlier in our marriage, it was like the, the the norm was I'm supposed to be the guy to handle all this, and you're the woman, and I, you know, and it, we got into a lot of trouble because she brings a lot of experience to the table and a lot of stuff. And yeah, over time, sometimes hard. I think it's great that you've got to that point. I think that's ideally what you're looking for is true partnership where you recognize the strengths of each other. And there are going to be times where something happens and you just know you're the best person to tackle this. And I'm the best person to tackle that. These problems we tackle together. I, I agree. And I, I, I think that's the ideal. Um, I, I think, though, sometimes at the end of the day, women do look to men to kind of figure things out and, and, and honestly I take responsibility for this I wanted to figure I wanted to be the guy that she turned to this figure it out I'm not gonna I'm not blaming my wife uh, I wanted to be in charge and fix the problems but you know that's just I want to I just want to be able to put that out there so when couples can hear that and it's, it's okay I don't mind that, that, that I don't mind that my wife looked at me and said what are you gonna do I, I got it you know but it is I mean, it, that's the dynamic for a lot of relationships and right but I think brilliant though, so that she knows more than I do. So, yeah. so she's able, she does, and she's able to take. But the so vision, she's tactical. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you know, but I think that, that would be my wife. My wife would be vision, and I'm tactical. That's a, but that's that's a guy's strength, generally speaking. Yeah. They're tactical. Women right. are kind of more good, Chris. I know there's a there's a writer that I really love named David Dita. He's talked a lot about. <laughs> Um, men and women, their energies and stuff. So it's, it's if you want I, to look for more of this, I'm sorry, Chris, go ahead. I think that what that goes back to is growing up. I mean, we always went to our dads, like our moms put the band-aids on it and washed our laundry and did all that. But our dads were the ones that fixed our problems. Like mm -hmm. it's that, it goes back way, way, way back. Like, yeah. you know, like, it's hard. And, and when you are in a relationship, 
and one person is sick, you know, and, and the other person is now forced to keep the family together. It's like, it goes helter skelter. You're, you're out of control. And it's, it's, it's just finding that balance. And, you know, I think that, that resentment comes up and fear and all those other emotions. And it's when you just remove all of that, which is easier said than done, um, you know, that's when the challenge and that's when the healing be- begins. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris. It kind of, this dialogue kind of reminds me of, um, remember that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? Yeah. <laughs> A lot of those, you know, uh, topics are, we're, we're touching on. It's so funny. It's, it, and it all goes back to, we are different creatures, bottom line, that we should be, and, and the more we know about each other and how we operate, it, the better we're going to be. There is, yeah. and I'm pushing them. I'm always pushing against um, some feminist I- ideology when I do my workshops, which is we're all equal, and I don't, I, I definitely don't subscribe to that. We are, we are different. We are different animals, men and women, mm-hmm. and we bring different strengths and weaknesses to the table. And, and what you're ideally striving for is to find how those two things complement each other. We create a lot of joy and happiness for the people around us. I mean, that's what I strive for. So um, the reason this whole topic is coming up is, you know, it's just a, it's how Andy asked me, how do I approach men in, in, in terms of recovery coaching? And this is, this is part of my conversation with men. It's very different than it is if I'm talking to a woman. So. Jeff, real quick, um, can you give us a quick little background about your story, how you, got all, how you got started in this? And then also wanted to find out what are some of the things that we can advise people in this time, people in sobriety, how what what are some of the things that they can do to kind of keep keep yeah. in a good you know, I, I thought about this this morning, you know, a lot before the call, and I don't think there's a tremendous amount more I can offer that's really unique to the conversation about how to stay sober during COVID nineteen that's not already out there. The online resources, I'm really so pleased with the, how the recovery community has responded to this. The online stuff happens so quickly and there's so much available right now in terms of online meetings and support meetings. Even my agency just, we have just boom, brought up our mental health support systems online like, like that. And if you guys are looking for information, you're welcome to email me. We're providing support on Zoom, general support meetings that anybody can attend, which I think is fantastic for mental health and or substance abuse. So there's a lot of online stuff out there that's really fantastic. Is your website? Uh, you can go to advocates.org and find out stuff. Um, and you're welcome to email me at Jeff J Wolfsburg at advocates.org. And, I'll, and if you're looking for something specific and I'm happy to send it to you. Um, I think what's important though is remember the reason we got into recovery was to be of service to other people. I think unfortunately all addictions are a very selfish disorder that we, we, we were always thinking about our own needs. And I think in this time, um, part of the ways in which we can support our recovery, it, not so much you know going on an online AA meeting or online whatever meeting, is to think about others. Um, I know I am not well when I'm thinking about myself all the time. Um, that's any time I'm feeling out of balance. I'm like, all right, what do I need to do for this? This sounds so hokey and idealistic, but I really do do this. The minute I'm starting to feel depressed or down, and it's happened a lot in the last seven days. I've been in this apartment for seven days. I've gone, I've gone to the market. That's it. And unfortunately, my dad passed away three weeks ago. Um, and the minute he passed away, this whole thing hit. And we haven't, my family is in, 
in their in a very bad grieving situation right now, but we can't be with each other. So, um, just trying to find out what I can do for others throughout the day has allowed my recovery, I think, to stay somewhat balanced. Whether it's reaching out to others and asking them, "Can can I be here for you? Do you want to talk?" Um, getting, I live in an apartment complex, so. I emailed the leasing department, the leasing office, and said, "Reach out to some of the seniors in the, in the apartment complex because they know who they are that are living alone, and, and let them know that I'm going to the market at these times during the week." So mm-hmm. I've picked up groceries for two or three different people that are older in my apartment complex. I'll, I'll continue to do that until this thing passes. So try to be of service to others in whatever way we can uh, is the best thing you can do. I think to support your recovery. Sorry, my light's falling down. Yeah, it's okay. Um, also, you know, that whole, we're, we're, as, we're as sick as our secrets thing you hear a lot in AA. You know, we're all stuck indoors right now. This, I don't know, maybe this is a seductive time to kind of, no one's going to know that I'm drunk or high. You know, I'm in my apartment. No one's coming to check on me because we're staying away from each other. That's the way my addict brain would think. This is a great time to get high. No one's coming to check on me. No one's calling me. I don't, if someone texts me, I don't reply. I was, you know, no one's going to know. <laughs> that I'm using. Um, so you have to really be careful about that right now. And if you have a sponsor, check in with your sponsor. If you have a recovery coach, utilize a recovery coach. Um, yeah, I'm making sure that I don't let my secret addict brain kind of come up and jump all over me. <laughs> Connection is the key, right? And that yeah. is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Connection is the key. And I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, yeah. Can we have you back on at some point in time? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back on. I love okay. talking about the topic of men. I love. I can go into a lot more depth about how men heal. I'm, most of the time, when you and I talk about that, I just get to some basic kind of concepts about trust in some social dynamics right. between men and women. I'd love to get into like this is how you approach men. This is how there's like seven modalities right. about how men heal that are very unique to men that I'd love to share with you guys. If you're a recovery coach or a clinician or you're like you know, any human being in a relationship. If you understand men better, or I understand women better, you've got better relationships. Um, so I'd, I'd be excited to talk about that. And give your website one more time. Um, my professional website is advocates.org. That's who I work for, and I'm happy to work for them. And they have resources on their website. But if you need to reach me specifically, and you have a specific question about our resource, you can uh, email me at j. Wolfsburg, W-O-L-F-S-B-E-R-G, at advocates.org. I oversee all recovery coaching for advocates, and I'd love to help you. Jeff, you're a good dude, man. Thank you. Good job. So that's our show for the week. Thanks to Jeff Wolfsburg. Thanks to Michael Weber, our our, uh, guy at Mission Control. And uh, thanks to Kimberly and Chris. And everybody stay safe out there. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash those hands. We'll see you next time, everybody. Whatever we can. All right, bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.